We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal have figured out that the easiest way to simplify the transfer market is let everyone else get their business done and see who's left. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Alex Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, There are so many players, but if you wait till they're all gone and see which players are left, then you don't have any struggle. You just take the players that are available, and I think it is a sensible uh, and and totally understandable approach to the transfer market. I'm kidding. Look, as I speak, it is the 7th of June. So unless you are listening to this at the end of August, at which point then you'd have every reason to be outraged, there is no reason to be outraged about the transfer market right now. But we can certainly manufacture some. And it is my best guess that I will certainly be able to do that. We'll see if Tim will be able to manufacture any outrage. He's on Twitter at Stobert. Hello, Tim. Hello there. You're going to be able to manufacture any outrage about the transfer window yet? Um, I don't need to manufacture it. I am absolutely boiling to the brim with uh, fury and righteous anger. Yes, fair enough. Well, and that is uh, the way... Let's be honest, Tim. Whether that's appropriate now or not, it's probably smart to get warmed up. So... Uh, yeah, yeah. Kudos to you because you're in training yep. for what it'll feel like at the end of August. Uh, pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. So pause. Woohoo! I'm irate. I'm incandescent. Are you apoplectic though? Uh, uh, I'm apoplectic. Yes. Mm. Okay. Well, the one man I'm that we know. Having conniptions. Yep. There you go. Having kittens, you might say. Yeah. The one man who is not apoplectic is Clive, but he's not here. He's implacable. He's, he's not here to give us that calm, soothing baritone to ease our nerves about the transfer window because he's preparing for part three of his transfer manifesto. It's just a transfer summary, uh, which will encompass the forward line. We've already done defense and midfield. You can check that out on Patreon, and and part three will be on Patreon tomorrow. Uh, What we have the next day for everybody on this feed will be our Euro previews with Phil Costa. Phil Costa will be joining me for a Euro daily episode throughout the tournament. Uh, we will still have Arsenal Vision podcasts, and those are technically Arsenal Vision podcasts, but you get the idea. So that's all coming up. Really exciting. On the 16th, we will be announcing the event officially, but I'm just going to tell you, it's in Vegas, August 19 to 22nd at 
the win probably the nicest casino in Vegas. There will be uh, broadcasters there and podcasters there for for uh, whoever cares about that and some former players and, and Big J journalists and hopefully lots of Arsenal fans. Um, I know Arsenal America is going to be helping us out with some of that. And so there's just going to be a lot of fun there. And while I'd love to uh, have an event planned around the Emirates uh, in, you know, London, that will have to be when we are allowed to do that and everything's going on. But that weekend coincides with the second week of the season, so the new season will be kicking off. There's a, a state-of-the-art a podcast studio they built in the wind. We'll be doing live shows there that people can come to. So the 19th to the 22nd in Vegas, uh, you can certainly put it on the calendar and plan to be there. We have some people that have done that already, but the official announcement is coming uh, in just over a week's time. We also have some fun stuff. <laughs> fun stuff that we're going to uh, make available for you soon, but I don't... Uh, I don't have it yet. So hold the fun, just like Arsenal, holding the fun. Um, so Tim, let's let's get to some rumors that maybe don't involve Arsenal, but do in the sense that it seems like maybe kind of, sort of, we might have been interested. I want to talk about Emi Buendia. Mm. I think it feels pretty clear to people that Buendia, Odegaard, Awar, these are sort of the names that have been thrown around. The more the reporting develops, it seems like Odegaard is the, the basket into which all eggs are going, and I can make my uh, thoughts known to you about that particular strategy. But just in terms of Buendia going to Villa, some mm. reporting that we were interested and decided not to or failed to, or whatever the case may be, and I realize there has to be strong caveats in place for any paper talk and rumors related to transfers. Do you have regret that we have opted not to go for Buendia? Do you feel that the fee he went for represents good value? So I, I don't have regret at the moment. If um, come September the 1st, we don't have anyone in that position, then I'll have regret. I So my read of this situation is actually quite simple. I think for Arsenal, you referenced that there's probably three targets there. There might be a priority order in mind. And Arsenal were probably not expecting a Buendia deal to be done this quickly by anyone else. I think he was very much... Uh, probably quite a big iron in the fire for Arsenal, maybe not the biggest. And I think quite simply, um, let's imagine he had a conversation with Arsenal and a conversation with Villa. The conversation with Arsenal was probably something like, yeah, we're, you know, we're quite interested and, you know, we play with like a front four and we see, we want to have like six or seven players and rotate them kind of in and out. Um, and we see you as part of that kind of rotation. So not a reserve player, but, you know, we're not going to, build the team around you kind of thing whereas I think Aston Villa have said we will put you in the starting 11 here is where we will put you um, and we are making you our number one target absolutely and and I kind of think it's that simple I also think with Villa I don't buy that they're replacing Grealish I mean that might happen I guess but I, I'm not so sure about that Villa last summer they got Ross Barkley on loan and they bought Bertrand Traore so one of the big things they were trying to do last summer was buy was get secondary creators so that they weren't just entirely dependent on Grealish. And personally, I think that's what Buendia is. And one of the reasons I was, um, I won't say excited, but I, I could just see him fitting in at Arsenal as almost like another Smith Rowe, you know, like this guy, he can play on the right or the left or number 10 and we can switch him around as and when we need him. Um, whereas I think with Villa, it's we don't want to just rely on Grealish all the time. We want another guy who creates chances or perhaps, you know, while three guys are marking Grealish, we'll put someone over on the right. 
Um, and so I, I, I just tend to think maybe Villa caught, caught us on the hop a bit by coming in strongly. Um, but I, I don't think this is a complicated situation to analyse. I think Buendia was going to fall in line a bit um, with Arsenal in terms of their targets and the way that we we're going to use him. Whereas for Villa, it's you're our number one. Here's where you're playing. You're playing every week. And by the way, your mate Emmy Martinez is here as well. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what I think complicates it? Let's say that Odegaard is our preferred option to Buendia. I don't know if I agree with that assessment, but let's say that's the case. Arsenal are in a really tough position because it looks like Buendia and Villa are ready to wrap this up quick and be done, which is smart by Villa, right? Like, don't let Buendia mm-hmm. become more interesting to a bigger club. Don't let a bidding war start. Don't sell Grealish and suddenly be trying to bid for players when you have $80 million in the bank because suddenly he's not 35 or 32. He's... 45 or 50, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I see that. But the problem for Arsenal is, let's say you feel we'd prefer Odegaard. But if we're going to get Buendia, we have to do it now. Arsenal, yeah. you know, you may have looked at it, and Edu and Arteta may have said, well, we're going to miss out on Buendia, but we have guys we prefer. Yeah. And if the only option to get Buendia is to do it right now, it gives us no chance to go for the guys we prefer. It really was a smart move by Villa for a lot of reasons, but I think it put Arsenal to a decision they weren't ready to make. Now, yeah. I want to be clear. I rate Buendia incredibly highly. 15 goals, 16 assists. Sure, it's a championship, but like, how does that compare to like a league on or something like that? But not even that. You know, his year before in the Premier League, he only had the one goal and the seven assists, but that's not bad. And oh, by the way, his expected assist numbers, I think, made him fourth best in the league behind only guys like De Bruyne and Mares, um, and one other mm-hmm. guy whose name escapes me because I'm exceptionally well-prepared. So, you know, I, I, I do rate him. But I also understand. I think this looks like value to Villa, and I think it is a great deal yeah. for them. The problem is, what if we wanted someone more? How do you, you know? And that, yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, we might not end up with those guys either. That's the issue. I, I just, yeah, and I just think for Villa as well, they're in a a firmer position because they did um, they did a lot of stuff last summer, like buying Matty Cash and Ollie Watkins and getting Barkley on loan and Traore. Uh, this summer, they're probably not going to look to add quite that much. They're probably thinking, yeah, okay, we've gone from 17th to 11th. That's that's good. A player like Buendia, that puts us in the kind of top six, top eight conversation. And they probably don't have to do an awful lot more than that. So Villa, I think, have probably got just got less balls in the air than Arsenal. Yeah, and if they do sell Grealish, then they're flush with cash on top of what they already spent for, for Buendia, and they can do a little more replacing. You know, Clive... Clive. <laughs> yeah, Paul, can you speak in just a deeper voice and, and preferably slightly more English accent? Thank you. Um, you mean raise my voice a little that's bit. That's what I meant. Sorry, raise your voice tremendously. Yes. Yeah. Um, and be more hysterical if possible. But the the thing I think, Paul, that strikes me with this is if Odegaard is really the primary target, the only scary part for that, let's say you set my personal view of, of which order they should be in. Awar, Buendia, Easily Odegaard. done. Easily yeah. done, exactly. The issue is Odegaard looks like the hardest one to get, potentially. Mm-hmm. Going to be the most expensive, almost certainly. Trying to prime away from the biggest club. They have a new coach there, so you don't have the Zidane factor. And so there's we don't even know if they will sell him, let alone for how much and to whom. So is the worry not so much the missing out on Buendia, but that we may be prioritizing the hardest one to pull off? <laughs> y- yes and yes. Uh, I know Clive is working on his transfer manifesto, but I'm no slouch in this department. Um, the, the manifesto department? No, I know that. Yeah, yeah. You, re- you read the manifesto department. Yeah. Um, 
people have said it has overtones of a previous manifesto. Well, I'm working on mine. It's called Mind Transfer. Mm. Um, it's well, I won't go into too much detail. I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. No, I, so I'm st- I, I mean, I I can tell you already. I'm glad that you're stopping because I <laughs> I was not inclined to want to let you carry on. So please go. Oh, uh, I'm an arbiter of good taste. I know when oh, to stop. Always, yes. Um, I spent a bit of time looking at Buendia over the weekend because I was feeling good about this one, um, and I got myself pretty hyped up on him. Um, but it does like either you're after Odegaard or you're bidding for Buendia right now. It's like, that's a weird one, right? Because if we're going for him right now, it means, oh, screw, oh, screw plan A. Uh, let's go for plan B or C. Um, and I think the only way this makes sense, because I do think, like, there's too much reporting that we were seriously going neck and neck with Aston Villa, but maybe not as... Like, I think you and Tim covered it pretty well. Not as intense as Aston Villa, not as wholehearted. And yet, what what happens if the bastards turn around and say, okay, we'll take your 35 million plus add-ons. It's like, oh shit. So I assume they were trying to run the clock down into the Euros and have Wendy on the line while they worked out just how good their Odegaard situation wasn't. Like, these things go up and down within a week or two. And this is a terrible time for them to have to choose between Odegaard and Buendia, and they're probably hoping to buy themselves a week or two, or maybe even the Euros, where he's on. You know, remember, this one didn't turn out too well, but Vardy went off to the, whatever it was, World Cup, and he was going to think about it till he got back. I think there were, that one went badly. I think <laughs> they were hoping for a, Buendia goes off to the World Cup and thinks about it. Meantime, we work out, where, and like from Buendia's side, he read the tea leaves. Aston Villa, Remember when we sent Smith Road to Huddersfield and they had a whole plan for how they were going to use him. And that's why we said, yes, Huddersfield, none of those other uh, clubs. They really thought about the guy. And I think Buendia got that feeling from Villa. Maybe got the feeling that Arsenal were trying to drag it out a little bit and said, all right, I'm, do- you know, I, I, these guys really know how to use me. I think Arsenal were able to say to him, listen, we're going to plop you in that Odegaard position and you might play a little on the on the right from time to time. But look, we have this 10 spot available for you. And personally, I, I loved him for that position. Um, I think he's more uh, dynamic than um, Odegaard, more vertical in his running, much more inclined to get into the 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 box and the six yard box and get on the end of things. He's a first timer with his pass, kind of like a Smith throw. He'll he'll ping it quick straight up. So I really love that aspect of it. And we need more goals out of our front four than I think we will currently get. And that Odegaard gives us. On the other hand, Odegaard is a known quantity. He's more cerebral, so he's more a kind of seeing the picture, the vision. Uh, pulling the strings. So I can see why Arteta would uh, have Odegaard potentially as his preference, given the two. Um, But now we're in a bit of a pickle because when Dia happened too quickly, we didn't have our ducks lined up. We weren't, it was one of those we're saying yes, but we're not sure we mean yes. And when Dia sensed that, and we don't know, we're hoping the Odegaard thing kicks back into life and that, Real Madrid are willing to talk Turkey and they need the cash to buy other players. Um, you know, that's kind of like, we may not like it and we may say, oh, Jesus, Arsenal's transfer mm-hmm. strategy is in, in the shitter, but life is messy. Yeah, and I mean, 
There's a couple of points here, right? The timing thing, I think, is an interesting one because, like, you look at the Chelsea rumors. I've seen them linked to Lukaku. I've seen them linked to Holland, right? Erling Holland. And while Lukaku is a nice player, you know, <laughs> if you can get the other one, you go for the other one. Well, what if Lukaku's team is also in talks with, you know, I'm just going to pick a name out of hat, Real Madrid, and they're close. And Chelsea has to decide whether to pull the trigger right now on Lukaku or see if they're going to get Holland. Well, you kind of have to let that play out at some level, and that's that's really tricky to do. Now, obviously, the distance between Buendia and Odegaard is not the distance between Lukaku and Holland, in my in my view. But I think the reason this worries me just slightly, and we'll finish on the Buendia here thing because he is a Villa player and he's not an Arsenal player, but Tim, the, why it worries me is when I look at Odegaard and I look at the way he thrived for us, I really see a guy who thrives as that one behind the striker in a 4-2-3-1, as the 10. When he had to play as one of the eights in the 4-3-3, right, with party behind, and maybe it was Ceballos and Odegaard or Smith-Rowe, I don't know if he ever did it with Smith-Rowe, but you know my point. I don't think he was as good. And if you get someone like Buendia, I think Buendia can play in that 10, or he can play on the left where, where ESR has played, and they can kind of switch roles. And if Smith-Rowe is out... You can use Buendia almost as a proxy for Smith-Rowe. You can use him in the 10. And so I think that versatility along that front line gives us some options. Now, to be fair, maybe one of the problems with Arsenal has been too many players who are very versatile, but we don't really know how we want to use them. So taking yeah, yeah. That, that versatility away from Arteta might be helpful. But my my, how do you feel about the Odegaard situation vis-a-vis sort of seeming to have a very defined kind of role that he can play and maybe hopefully at an elite level, but I don't think system wise you, you have the flexibility. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And that's one of the reasons I, I kind of having um, been quite dismissive of, of Wendy a year ago or so, I, I actually became the good news um, is Tim, no one gives you a hard time about that on the internet. <laughs> and no one's ever brought it up again because people are incredibly understanding. Of course, um, but I, I talked myself into Buendia for the, for that exact reason, and I I thought he just might be a bit more cost effective. Hey, hey um, Tim, I'm now a member of Norwich FC's uh, I Follow community, having watched Buendia all weekend, so I got that <laughs> out of this. And and so yeah, and and so I I, I talked myself into Buendia for that exact reason. I I just kind of saw potentially another Smith Row in there, and and you know you know me, I love Smith Row. You can't have too many Smith Rows. So um, I I completely agree. And I've the thing I've been looking at as well um, recently is like how do we get more goals into this team? Um, and the the issue we've got is all our best goal scorers can't really play together. Like you can't have a front three. So so I've been thinking like maybe is it time to move to that four three three? And so I'm looking at it, but I'm thinking you can't play Pepe a front line of like Pepe Martinelli and Abamyang with Willock in a four three three because they can all score, but there's no one to give them the ball. Um, and so that that's that's exactly why I liked the idea of Buendia because I think you've got a player for a four three three and a four two three one. I like Erdogan. I think he's he's a really good player, but I I feel it's a little bit more that single point of failure um, or single point of contact, I guess, as a number ten. That right, this is our number ten. This is the guy that creates the chances. And I know it's not that simple because we do stuff with the fullbacks, but um, yeah, I I just. Yeah, I I just kind of feel it becomes 
you become quite dependent on a player, I think, when you do that. And I think a lot of teams have moved away from that. City don't even really do that with De Bruyne. Um, they have other players, like, all right, he is by far and away their biggest chance creator, but they have other guys that, that can kind of do that. And and that's my worry, I think, about signing someone like Erdegaard is, okay, but then who's the secondary creator? Because if you have Erdegaard, and then you say, well, we can play Smith Rowe as well out wide. Okay. And then, like, you're playing Saka on, you know, the other wing, and then you're playing a Bamiyang up front. And then it's all of a sudden you're very reliant on a Bamiyang for goals, basically. So I quite like the idea of moving to the 4 3 3, maybe keeping Willock around and, uh, and yeah, and adding Buendia into that mix. So I, I kind of agree. I talked myself into Buendia perhaps being a better target than Erdgaard, and I think we'd probably get him 20 million cheaper into the bargain. Yeah, I mean, I, I participated in a tiny bit of, of Twitter, out, not outrage, but frustration over the deal. But I, I do see that if you want to do this deal, and I would have liked us to do it, you have to believe this is the player you want over other players because it had to get done right now and I think it is fair to say that while we may have had interest in him and followed him I don't think Buendia was at the top of our list and because he was not at the top of our list going for him now is not going to work but I just want to say one thing about these moves fans don't know everything and in some cases fans don't know anything when it comes to players one thing that's always interesting to me though is when a player is leaving a club look at what the fans think like, when we signed Willian, there were a lot of Chelsea fans I, I, like, had tweet at me or, you know, guys that I know who I'm friends with. And their attitude was like, honestly, we're ready for him to go. And a lot of it was like, you gave him how many years? When we sold Iwobi to Everton. Sure, there's some people like, I'm sad to see Iwobi go, but they were like, they paid how much for Alex Iwobi? The Norwich fans are absolutely crestfallen, heartbroken to see Buendia go. They understand it, but I think... He, he was really beloved there, and they really rated him. They they feel he is a special player, and I, I tend to agree. I think we should move on, but Paul, final, final thought on that topic? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I don't really have a final mm. thought on that topic. On any um, topic, man? Um, like, I, I did really like Buendia. Um, so it's like early in the window, so I think I can have strong rage loosely held. <laughs> um, it's going to be a long window. There are other players on the planet. I think here's my thoughts. We could, there are players all over the planet with potential for that spot. And um, he can't have been our number one. I don't know why for, we were going for him now, unless it was a delaying tactic to buy time, but there will be other place, other players for that spot as, and we have a couple of, a couple of players who can do a bit for us. I think the core player you need ready to go ready for the premier league etc is the is our midfielder we get the the central midfielder dm um if chak is leaving the chaka replacement he has to be pl ready the number 10 we have a couple of options there at the moment we have different ways of playing we could get somebody from european leagues at distress prices with a high talent it doesn't necessarily somebody who has to me it doesn't have to have the same level of being blooded in that uh, the number 10 does. So I guess if we have to go to Europe to find a talent, 35 million should get us a talent in Europe. Yeah. I want to be clear about something, you guys. And I I think there are some listeners who may be listening who are newer to football, haven't been around the game as long as some of us have. And so 
from time to time, it is important to remind those people of things that for other people they may already know. So for those of you who are new to the game, transfer rumors are always true. They are always true. You should take them as as absolutely true and be as upset and outraged about them as possible. That's that's important. Transfer rumors are always true. And so um, as we move on from Buendia and, and stick with transfers because uh, hashtag clicks, hashtag numbers, um, hashtag nothing else going on, I think the central midfield is an interesting one because we've let Buendia uh, slip through our grasp, so, so be it. The midfield is a little trickier because we've been um, linked with Berg. We've been linked with Basuma. But a strong link to Ruben Neves came up over the weekend. And Tim, I have to admit, the only thing strong about it was the link because my reaction to it is the biggest meh I have ever uttered. (laughs) I find these are the hardest transfer rumors at time because there is no sense that Ruben Neves is a bad player. Mm-hmm. But there is also no sense that he is a player I can be remotely excited about. It feels like the club said, can you find us Granite Shaka when he was 24? You know, like there's <laughs> a little bit of that kind of feeling. And my only issue is, maybe the reason I reacted to it negatively is, I've seen this kind of midfield, and I haven't super enjoyed it. I'd like to see a different kind of midfield. But if Neves yeah, is yeah. really a guy we're going for, then it strikes me as us saying, we kind of want the same type of midfield. So what's your reaction to Neves and the idea that with Shaka potentially going to Roma and Neves coming in, we are looking to kind of make a classic like-for-like type swap, or is that too reductive? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we were trying to do that because Arteta really likes Shaka. What I'd say about Neves, um, I think it's really interesting, um, actually, this link, because when Neves was a bit younger, it was like everyone in Europe wants this guy. Um, and I wonder if he's just got a little lost along the way in a Wolves team that's gone quite dry. And and look, I'll admit, with, with Wolves at the moment, when Wolves are on TV, I put the TV in the boot of the car, I drive to the coast, <laughs> I throw the television into the sea. Why not just drive I the s- car into the sea so that it can't get out? And, yeah. and then I set the sea on fire. Oh, wow. So. You must live in Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) Or or maybe that that scene in Casino where they drive... uh, Yes. uh, What's her... Stone. What's her name? Sharon Sharon Stone. Stone uh, to the desert and barrier. That that kind of thing. For for, for those who don't understand my reference, the the lake in Cleveland did actually catch on fire once upon a time because that's how much pollution was in it. There's a Randy Newman song about it. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so I don't watch a lot of Wolves. That was my diplomatic way of saying that because I think they're really dreadful to watch um but but with Neves so so like I haven't seen a lot of him in the last kind of two years but he was a really really he was an exciting he was a talent that everyone was really excited about a couple of years ago and whether there's a little bit more in there that we can kind of jimmy out um I'm not sure as as for kind of the thing is about whoever we sign to replace Shaka is probably not going to be that exciting a signing because it's not that exciting a player you know, signing like your holding midfielder who's there to just keep things ticking over is that that doesn't get your imagination going. Like, I think it's more about the profile, 10. though, right? Like, are we adding yeah, an athlete? Yeah. Are we adding someone who can actually run from from one penalty box yeah, to the other? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's the thing, right? Because we've all, we've probably got ideas about what we want the midfield to do, but really, it's about what Arteta wants it to do, and I. I don't have an enormously strong feeling about the type of midfield we should have 
because for me it's always about do what you do but do it well and so if arteta wants another Xhaka in there or or sorry another Xhaka type but perhaps one who is um slightly better in duels uh, the stats seem to say who makes slightly fewer stupid decisions um then then that's kind of all right like i i don't have like a no 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 we must have like a midfield full of sprinters um for me it's just like i don't really care what type of team you're building just make it a good one just make it work How, like if you want a counter pressing team good do it make it work by every player that can do that and and if this is what arteta wants to do i'm kind of fine with that as long as it's good and it works so i don't have a strong feeling about us buying like loads of um sprinters um or anything like that so i so i, I don't feel enormous i i do understand why people feel strongly about that like oh my god we're selling Xhaka for 20 million and we're buying the ghost of Xhaka past for 35 million i i do kind of get that but um, I do think that there's probably some more talent in Neves that we haven't seen. And yeah, I, I just don't have a strong feeling about what type of midfielder it, sh- it should be there, just as long as they're good and they mix very well with Thomas Partey. Yeah, Ruben Neves is like kryptonite for a podcast discussion because I don't particularly like hate it. Like I'm not allergic to it. Yeah, yeah. I certainly don't like it. I think, again, it's more because... like So here's the funny thing. If we signed Odegaard and pick someone really exciting that we could get. Just Odegaard and some exciting guy. And on deadline day, we did Neves to replace a departing Shaka. You'd be like, good business. We nailed it. Uh, so, so let's say we got like um, um, like a really, who's a good right back that, that we might be linked with? Uh, Bellerin? Oh, Lamptey? <laughs> Hashtag no. Uh, no, I mean like, so let, let's say we got like you know, Max Ahrens and I'm just picking names out of hat because nothing's coming to mind right Lamptey. now. Lamptey, Lamptey. I, I, I don't want to Rick Lamptey. Uh, fine. Lamp- yeah, you're not fine. excited, but lots of other people are. He's just so small. But okay, fine. That, you know what? <laughs> as, a, as a guy who is equally uh, barely able to see over my desk, I don't know why I'm worried about that. But uh, <laughs> let's. So fine. Lamptey and and Odegaard and deadline day is Nevis to replace Shaq. You might say, hmm, you know what? That was a solid window. We we nailed the the positions we really needed to, and we got a good Shaq replacement. I as the first move, if it were the one to happen, it just it doesn't like drive you crazy. It doesn't really change the profile. Let's be clear. There's no guarantee that Basuma is a better player than Neves. They are different. They are different. If you just want to look at it, statistically speaking, I think Neves is a superior passer. Basuma is obviously, you know, able to cover ground a little more. And I think defensively a lot stronger. It's, it's a balance. I, I, I think one of the issues that we have in general is we are looking for signs that the club is getting sharper looking at the data, finding, you know, targets that are maybe a gem waiting to be unearthed. And so going for super agent clients, you know, at Premier League clubs, you know, when all of Europe is begging to have their players taken at a discount, like it it doesn't feel super clever to me. I think we are also once bitten, twice shy with Arsenal. Like, he, here's the reality. I want to speak to anybody who still really trusts the club to get it right and gets frustrated when other people want to put the club down. Um, we in, are coach. Well, well, <laughs> just real quick. We are eighth and you can keep excusing the moves we've made and finding the good answer. Oh, but this one was smart because of this, or we never knew willing to be that bad. Or, you know, Cedric isn't that much money. Like, here's the deal. You can keep excusing all the deals. You can keep excusing all the mistakes. The reason we got to eighth is because of the stuff we've done. 
You can't wake up one morning and go, wow, how have we finished eighth? And how have Arsenal Football Club finished eighth in consecutive seasons? I've got a newsflash for you. That didn't happen by accident. It happened through years of dumb deals, bad contracts, signing the wrong players, changing directors of football, changing coaches. <laughs> and some of that is stuff that you can't avoid, right? Like Gazidis leaving suddenly and Raul being a grifter and Raul leaving suddenly. Like, I get it. But we didn't wind up eighth consecutive seasons by accident. This is a decline precipitated by bad operating in the market by this club for years. So while I don't think Neves is necessarily a bad deal or will necessarily regret Buendia, I think if you are someone inclined to be mistrustful of our business, I can't really blame you because we are in this predicament because these people have proven they have no idea what they're doing. So with that having been said, Paul, how excited are you about <laughs> Neves? And are you prepared to give the Nobel Prize for transfers to our uh, to the people at Arsenal Football Club? I am. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, as we all know, I'm a little deluded and tend to end up on a little island of opinions on my own. You know what? <laughs> but, it's, an, yeah. it's a happy island, though. And that's better than where I am, where it's always raining. <laughs> it's a utopia. Also known as England, by the way. <laughs> Utopias were really popular in the 20th century, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to bring them back. Mm-hmm. Um Look, I really like Ruben Nevis. Unlike Tim, maybe I've watched, I've managed to watch a few Wolves games this year and like thinking they were about to be good and and they decided not to be. But one of the things I noticed they do really good is switching the play from wing to wing. I never really thought too much about who was doing it, but it's largely Ruben Neves. And one of my markers for a very intelligent player is a player who switches the play a lot. Now, I know one of those people happens to be John Joe Shelby, who is um, pretty high on the switching metrics, but let's let that one go. Um, switching the play, if you do it a lot in a game, means the coach trusts you, especially a tactically-minded coach. And it means you're good at it because... They land and they're completed. And this guy switches the play a lot. Those deep progressions, they're accurate. Um, and it takes, it, it's not just a, oh, I'll ping at the other side, Fran- Francis Coquelin style, who could switch the play a little bit. But was he doing it at the right moments, the right times? Well, with a very tactical coach like um, Spiritus Santo, um He's not going to let you be pinging it from side to side. And when I've watched Wolves, it looked good. They, the one thing they did well was spring uh, their attacking players, Traore at the right moments, overloads, all that kind of stuff. I think Neves is a really good player. And the um, he, when, when Wolves were in the championship, he was given a very tacking role and the Wolves supporters loved him. And they're kind of a bit frustrated he's been asked to play a little deeper. Now, he'll probably be asked to play a little deeper for us, given the more boring given the more boring role, give him a more Chaka-style role. But I think he's really good. I think he's defensively, he's got lots of hustle. He's got lots of pressures. Uh, his defensive numbers are really good. He's fairly quick. Like, he's not as uh, um, bassoon athleticism. But the guy gets around. Um I think he's got a great eye for a pass as a deep progressor. Um, I think he has more attacking potential than we've seen in the last season. And he's a really good player. And like one of the things you do as a smart club, maybe we are occasionally smart, as Tim alluded to, is to get a distressed value player who's been in a team that makes him 
makes everybody look down on him more than they should and has been given a role that doesn't fully uh, allow his capabilities, been asked to be way more defensive than he can and should be. Um, the, you know, I, I've liked him. And when I, over the weekend, the Neves rumors were strong. So I went and had another look at him. And I got to say, I don't know what he doesn't have that we'd want. He's really, really good. So um, I think he, I think he's fast enough. Uh, he's not Basuma, but he's got lots of, you know, the one thing he doesn't particularly do is dribble uh, Etc. From a little deeper, or from anywhere, in fact. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but that's okay, right? You, 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 you can let him have something that isn't. Really it's funny because Sander right. Berg carries the ball and does yeah. nothing else. So maybe if we can just <laughs> put Neves on Berg's shoulders or something like that, then you got the player we need. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, he's Premier League ready. He's ready to go. He'd be at a reasonable price. I think, like, uh, uh, I need to give it a little more time. But no, I think in terms of boring players, he's pretty exciting. So I get, I like and look, him. to be clear, good age, price quoted seems pretty reasonable. A guy whose value has probably dropped because he was at one time seen as a very, very exciting potential superstar. I mean... There are reasons to say this is a perfectly sharp, fine move, and I think some of the hesitation will come from just a mistrust of the club generally. Uh, some of the hesitation will come from maybe an appetite to see a different kind of midfield, wanting maybe some more athleticism in there that we've lacked. But if you want to make the argument that Shaka and Party at times did look like a pretty good double pivot, that a younger, probably better Shaka isn't a bad way to go. So I, I can be open I, I'd to that. I'd also add he's a very well-known quantity, right? Not only has he been scouted, uh, given that we've played them over the last few seasons, but, you know, Arteta has all the inside scoop from what City thought of him and what, you know, they'll have looked at him, they'll have assessed him. So he's got two clubs' um, input on the kind of player that guy is. And if we're after him, he likes him, so... Yeah, and, and I want to be clear about my rant about Arsenal being, you know, not necessarily being trustworthy in the market. Once again, we are now looking at a different group, Dick Garlic. Does he stink? We'll find out. Um, I, I am, by the way, obligated to make that joke every time I say his name. <laughs> Richard Garlic, um, uh, Edu, Arteta. It's their group now, and now it's their turn to show if they're, sh you know, sharp in the market or not. That's why they had to get rid of Emery. Mm -hmm. Dracula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, because Oh, because of Garlic. Yeah. Can't want to bring garlic in. Yeah, can't. <laughs> he literally scared him away. I thought um, you'd like that oh, joke. You made I, I, well, the Dracula joke. I, last I have time. to admit, it took me a second to to think of it, and uh, then it reminded me that he just won the Europa League, and then I got sad, and now I'm in a bad place. But, um, you know, look the the thing is, you look at some of these other clubs like Leicester. They've sorted their business. Edouard in Vardy getting older now. They have Inacho and Edouard, a nice pair of of young strikers. Um, you know, they got Sumare. Pretty highly rated guy, pretty good price. They're doing their business quickly. They're doing it efficiently at prices that seem to make sense, at ages that make sense. I envy it. And, you know, you can look at how these are sliding door moments. I mean, think about Liverpool. They were in the wilderness for a while. When they sold Fernando Torres for $50 million, at the time, I think, a, a record fee in the league, they bought Andy Carroll for like $38 million, which was their record transfer for your son. So they blew all the money in a bad way, and that's why they got stuck in Nowheresville for a while. But by the time they sold... You know, uh, a Coutinho for a record fee, they had gotten smart and they got it right. And so clubs can 
change their fortunes pretty quickly if they start acting a little smarter in the market. And that's all I'd I'd hope to see from us. I want to give Shaq a bit of a send off if he's going, but before we do that, we have to take a quick break. And I want to be clear, look, mostly the sponsorships around here are party time, beer, lingerie, shaving your privates, but we can get down to business too. If you're getting down to business and you need to hire some people, stay tuned. We'll be back after this. Okay. It's time to tell you about Indeed. If you need to hire right now, it's a perfect time. There's so much talent out there. Maybe you want to hire for a podcast host. Maybe you're a podcast that people love, but they don't like the host so much. Well, Indeed can help you find that, but please not that. Use it for something else. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview. All on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skill tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests Then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for the applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Go there now. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Okay, we're back. And now I, I do want to talk Granit Xhaka for a bit. It looks like he's off to Roma. This feels right. You know, one of the things that is giving me confidence, Tim, we may actually be selling a guy we probably should sell at the time. We probably should be selling him. And maybe you could say that we should have moved on from Shaka a while ago. But the fact that we're not kicking the can down the road even further and saying, no, no, we can't afford for him to go. We'll just keep him another season. Granitschak is going to be a hard one to eulogize when he moves on from Arsenal. Um, because in many ways, I think people see him as a leader, as a good servant, as a hard worker. He did also <laughs> give the fans the finger, pretty much. You know, flick them the bees, <laughs> drop the, the armband on the on the pitch. We don't love that. Um, but, you know, the, the fans gave him a little bit too, let's be fair. Um, yeah, he's yeah. had some super high-profile mistakes that some people like myself have a hard time getting over. He also does some things at, at a fairly elite level. For me, he will forever be a player that I think of as really perfectly identifying with this era of Arsenal, which is not that he's a bad player, but that his limitations held us back. And I, I think we are selling him at the right time. I think some people will be very, very sad for him to go. How do you feel about the fact that he is going now, being smart or not smart, and and how you'll think of him once he is gone? Yeah, it's totally smart given his age and and how long he's been around and everything else. I, I think, I guess, um, you know, putting aside the the business squad building stuff, I'm kind of glad he's going at this point. On, I, I think it's too much to say a high. I think the last six months have been his best six months at Arsenal. I really do. I, I really think in the second half of the season, he was fantastic. Um, he really seemed to have just got rid of that that brain-dead gene. Um, and maybe that's just come with age. Um, he, even that mistake against Burnley away, I, I yeah, I've, I've explained a million times. I, I, 
of course it was a big error but i don't think it was a typical Xhaka error no. so i do think there's I, i'm kind of glad we're going okay you 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 you've done well but but like this is it and i've i've always felt that after you know the incident as it were with the captain's armband when arteta convinced him to stay was never convinced that that was a yep stay we'll sign a new contract everything else I'm, i've always thought that so you know just stick around another year 18 months and then you know don't go to fucking hertha berlin or something like that we'll you know get you a better move than that and roma kind of feels about right and look Mourinho, um he you know Mourinho's bought Nemanja Matic twice um so you know that Mourinho is going to appreciate a player like Granit Xhaka because Xhaka and Matic are very very similar in terms of profile so and and yes yeah, so I'm really glad that what we haven't done I mean maybe we did offer him a big contract and he just said no it's time to go we don't really know but I, I am glad that it's kind of like okay thank you you've I mean I say seen us through the last last 18 months again maybe that's overstating it given where we finished and and things like that but I mean we could have finished lower like it's not it's not uh, against the realms of possibility we could have finished in the bottom half so I I I think it's absolutely the right time I think it's the right time to move on find someone else even if that's just um Jacques five years younger um and how you think of a player after they've gone almost always entirely depends on who you replace them with that that will be the proof in the pudding Let, let's say we buy neves right and it's rubbish and it doesn't work jacker's stock will go up and jacker is actually one of those players because he's quite divisive in terms of who sees his value and who doesn't whenever arsenal play without jacker you you're guaranteed to read a load of tweets um that are like we missed Jacker yeah. um, today, and I, I'm not necessarily saying that's not true, but you know what I mean. It's very, um, it, it, it's quite tribal in that respect. And so, how we replace him will, um, and, and that goes for any player, right? Mark Overmars, brilliant, brilliant player for Arsenal, not totally forgotten, but quite forgotten because we replaced him with Robert Pires, who happened to be better. Whereas when you lose a player, I don't know, like Fabregas, for example, don't replace him. Uh, then that that kind of legend grows. So in terms of Xhaka's Arsenal legacy, it will all depend on how we replace him. And and if we replace him with someone really good and we go places, you know, I, I feel po- pro- possibly unfairly people say, see, it's because we got rid of Xhaka and I don't think it was ever that simple. I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, I remember Alex Song being a player that when he didn't play, we were like, we missed Alex Song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alex Song was never anything more than a decent player. And the fact that Barcelona bought him is hilarious and leads to the cringiest video that's ever been made. And if you (laughs) want to look it up, I don't recommend it. Just look up Alex Song, Barcelona Trophy. Um, But like, he was never that good. We just didn't have anyone that could do any of the things we needed in that position. I think the same has been true of Shaka, which is we have let the quality in our midfield sink so badly over so many seasons that his absence was always keenly felt because he's competent. I do and he's think, such yeah, a specific mm-hmm. player yes, as well. That's yes. the thing. So it's, you know, when you replace Shaka, you don't replace Shaka, you know? I totally agree. And, and I think the problem with the debate around players sometimes is you kind of get pigeonholed if you don't care for a player or don't rate the player into people thinking you're saying he's crap. Granted, Shaka is a very good footballer who is limited in ways that I don't think really works well for our team. I think Jorginho is a limited player. But when you've got Conte next to you or Kovacic who can do some of the things he can't, I think Jorginho is a better version of Shaka. 
with some better players around him, and that works. I think Shaq is a less good version with less good players around him, and that doesn't work. And I don't think it's that strange that actually he looked pretty good next to Thomas Party. He's the best guy he's had next to him in a long, long, long time. Um, but Paul, it is, for me, a, a player and a debate that typifies this era of Arsenal, which is talking ourselves into guys being good enough who whatever their level, it's not quite good enough, is it, right? We tried to say Awobi was. Oh, we'll miss him. Why are we saying? He really wasn't. And Lacazette really isn't. And Shaka really isn't. And we've just had a lot of these trying to talk ourselves into the idea that these players are good enough players. And I, I, I think he's that. Do you want to go a little bigger on him or do you fall into a similar space? I will go a little bigger on him. <clears throat> I mean, I do think he has a ceiling. What's interesting is, although we all said, oh, his ceiling limits us, we've in recent times seen that that ceiling keeps rising depending on who he plays with. Yeah. And he hasn't had the best partners over the last few years. Um, but I don't really enjoy arguing about Chaka anymore. Uh, I like you enjoyed it at one most. time? Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy is the wrong word. Let's just say I just don't do it really anymore. Mm. Um, it's just, it's like the Chaka Wars. They became a thing themselves. Look, I always liked flawed players um, who have some superpowers. And, uh, you know, be it Coquelin at one end of the spectrum. But, um, you know, Chaka, I just, I've always thought uh, he was underappreciated and misunderstood, uh, both in terms of his football and in terms of his character. And I think we'd all agree he definitely has character. We might love every aspect of it, but you can't deny the guy has character. Whether it's the character you want in your team or not is another matter. But he's grown and he's improved and he's modified and mollified himself. If So here's an interesting one. I was just watching a Tom Warville tweet on Chaka, who said, basically, uh, Chaka has been uh, criminally misunderstood. So I like that part of it and read <laughs> further. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. But he threw in a stat there. How many yellow cards has Chaka had this season? And I was a bit surprised on this. Mm. Seven. Um, that's not a lot. So he has matured. He has improved. He has learned. And I think we've seen a greater, de de despite a couple of flubs and one or two meltdown moments and the red mist, which will always be a part of his game. Um, but, you know, what's new to say or argue about the guy? I think he's been better when he has the right partner, but he's also limited. He doesn't have the same mobility that you would want from a player to truly go for the top four. So there I agree with you. I do see that's an area that Neves has a hell of a lot more mobility can scuttle and scurry around and get to players and press them. So that kind of a move would make sense to me. Um, personally, I'd be delighted if he left this year after all of that, this summer, because I would love him to leave on kind of a a high. He'll never have the the warm relationship with, with the, the broad fan base, but at least he can leave Arsenal, leave the squad, leave the, the manager... Uh, with a strong relationship intact. I think he's earned that at this stage. And with a decent relationship with fans, maybe ambivalent, some good, some bad, but uh, way ahead of where it would have been a couple of years ago. So I would be delighted if he moves on. 
for his own sake and for us it gives us a clean sheet of paper to redraw our midfield because he is a very specific kind of player that you have to accommodate if you're going to play him and the bastard's basically never injured I know he missed a game at the end of the season but he's he's never injured as you said one of your your key assets as a player is availability he's always been available he's always been fit um and you know, from that standpoint, he's always a factor. So you you kind of got to build the midfield to some degree around Chaka. And he's shown some flexibility this season, but basically, yeah, uh, you 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 accommodate Chaka. He doesn't quite accommodate you. So I see this as an opportunity on all sides, and I wish him well. And I've mostly really loved him as a player. Yeah, and and I look, I cannot stress this any more than I will right now. He's a very good player with some skills that are elite. And we have not shown that we can progress the ball up the pitch and into the final third particularly well without him. There are players that are much better at it than him. Like, I may not want Ruben Neves particularly, but I think Neves is an upgrade. I do. Um, I, I just think it is okay to look at our players and say, we kind of need a little better than this. This isn't the level we need. And I think with Shaka. Maybe because of his attitude and his, you know, his his aggression and that sort of leadership TM that is, you know, he talked about with him. There was this ability to like him, and and I get that. Like, you know, look, just because I didn't like him doesn't mean I, I begrudge other people liking him. But I think in terms of his his actual skill set as a player, it's probably just a, just a notch below where we'd like it to be, unless you really surround him with some elite players. I'll tell you this, Sirius just feels all set for him to be great. That feels like a league, a tempo of a league, a place you can play till you're 37 years old because they got the really good, draw, I mean, um, uh, trainers. Um, yeah, I, I think he's going to do great there. And and I I, I kind of just don't wish him any ill will, but also he's 29. Like, this is a classic case of his, he could start getting injured. His performances could start to drop off. So let's not find out. Let's take the money, move on and get better. I'm fine with it. Uh, by the way, just real quick, we're not going to stay on this topic, but uh, because literally the title of the podcast is all transfer rumors are true. Uh, there is a rumor that William Saliba will uh, potentially be loaned to Newcastle. So if you want to be outraged because all transfer rumors are true, there's one you can really sink your teeth into. Uh, last, last word on Shaka. Simply this, Tim. Um, fair to suggest, I think, that while I'm ready for him to go and it is a smart move, it's not impossible to see how we could wind up really regretting it anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, the midfield cupboard could get very bare very quickly. Um, and yeah, and and this way lies on any contract extension um, and, and things like that. And pro- I mean, depending on how you feel about this, probably not selling Joe Willock. The more I think about it, the more I don't think that's going to happen now unless. Um, so I think with Willock, we won't sell him unless it's getting towards the end of the window and we've not managed to shift who we need to shift. And we think, ah, uh, balls to it. We'll take, um, 20, 25 million for him or whatever. So yeah, I mean, yeah, we could, cause we, we could get it wrong. And, and it is as much as I said, it wasn't an exciting piece of the jigsaw, particularly it is a very important one. It's a very important one to Arteta as well. Look at what happened to city. Just, just that one year where they replaced Fernandinho with uh, Rodri, um, who's who's a decent player, but you know it took him a little while to settle in. Uh, this is possibly why a lot of the reporting is saying we're looking for Premier League ready um, kind of candidates for this role, which I can understand. Um, so it you know it 
it can go wrong. It is a really important position. And if you get the wrong guy, I mean, there's no good position to buy the wrong player, but this is particularly in an Arteta team. Um, this is really, really pivotal. And, and yeah, it's, it's like I said, if the next guy is not very good, Xhaka's stock will, you know, um, you know, if, if you That's don't what I'm trust... praying for, I'm hoping the next guy's a real fucking dud. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, if you're holding Xhaka stocks, I'd say hold on to them, particularly if you don't trust the club to replace him properly, because um, you know his his stock could be in for an unexpected rise. Mm. Um, you know, it's funny, right? Like, I, I think I can direct some angst over the debate around Shaka being good enough or not good enough, because in my opinion. I think that's the kind of player that we need to just agree. Perfectly fine player, but not good enough. Another level down of that is El Nenny, where there's a debate about whether he's good enough or not, and I can't really understand how that debate exists, but it does. And I just think in general, there is, I think there is a discourse where all our players are good, and we just don't see it, and they should all stay. And yet somehow we're eighth despite that. And then somehow there's an argument that when we were sitting 15th in December, it's because the squad sucked. And I just don't see how the squad can suck, but all our players are good and none of them should leave. (laughs) I I think with something like this, though, I think there's an acknowledgement that Arsenal have so much to do. Yeah, no, no. And they're not going to get it all done. It's, yeah. No, and to to your point, Tim, I, I mean, there is what I'd like our squad to be overnight. And there's the reality of the amount of time it takes to fix this mess. And I've been very vocal that trying to fix it immediately is how we wind up in a deeper mess, right? You you kind of have yeah. to commit to the steps, taking the steps. Well, one of the steps is moving the young players through. And, and Paul, it seems like we want to do that with Balogun. Um, you know, there's talk now that he will be given the chance to really earn a place and play for the first team next season. We have a tricky summer with the young players because we need to get a look at them and see if they can be in the first team squad. But given that we have no Europe... We also have to be honest about the fact that Balogun making five appearances next season is not good for anyone. And we don't have a lot of free hits to throw around in terms of uh, minutes. So what do you think Balogun has to do? And what are the odds that he can be important enough to us next season that we don't loan him out and he does play enough for it not to be a lost season? Uh, well, preseason is going to be very exciting for him and very important. Um He's obviously earned some level of trust based on the current reporting, which seems pretty good by people in the know that Balogun will be kept in the fold next season rather than going out on loan. Makes you think, I guess, does it, I guess whether Lacazette goes or not, it's hard to think that the Balogun will be the number two straight off the bat. I mean, that seems highly dicey. Imagine uh, Aubameyang gets injured in October and our starting striker is Balogun for the next three, four months. Doesn't seem feasible. So I still think he's probably the number three. Um, and I don't know that it necessarily tells me Lacazette is staying or going. Um, but Well, shoot, because gonna... I was going to ask you that next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't know that it tells you either way, because I don't, I mean, it's not plausible that a, a team would only have Aubameyang and then Martinelli and Balogun, I don't think. I think that's too much of a jump. You know, Martinelli's closer to having proved it, and I think we saw towards the end of the season, um, it he's raw, right? You'd have to change how you play to give him a chance to be 
a successful striker for us. So I think we need a striker option. I don't know what's happening with Lacazette. You know, we tried to sell him last summer. Uh, we wanted an attractive option. Maybe we'll take an attractive deal. Maybe this year we'll take any deal. But maybe we say, well, we'll keep Lacazette for one more year and forego the fee. But a smart club would sell Lacazette, have a plan uh, to bring in a guy for him and Balogun to compete with uh, over the future. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but it seems like it's a stretch for Balogun to be number two. But And we, it, it's tough because we don't quite have enough games for there to be three strikers and a B and a junior. Um, so I'm scratching my head a little bit. It just seems too big a stretch. You know, we used Eddie, but Eddie played for Leeds. And as we've now seen, um, competed for Leeds and, and played a reasonable. We, we think he didn't play, but he did. Um, he got a reasonable number of minutes, a lot of experience, a lot of maturing. Um, and, you know, Balogun hasn't had that. He's he's played under 23s and, a, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes for us in the Europa League or whatever. It's a huge jump. I could see keeping him around as the number three just to kind of bring him into the fold, become part of the picture, and maybe goes out on loan uh, in January for the second half of the season. So we keep him around to get him blooded, involved, part of the scene, and then next summer is when he really takes the step up with us. We might have a hybrid approach to Balogun, uh, which makes maybe a little more sense. We don't keep him on ice for the year, but we're going to need a second striker, I think. Yeah, and I got to tell you, like, I do think it's funny because this is where I think we we wind up having very different discussions about very different players, despite the scenarios seeming like they're comparable. Like, I know there are a lot of people that want Balogun to get his chance, want him to be in the first team, all this stuff, but I also see people that say, clearly William Saliba wasn't ready. You know, like, I... One of them is playing regular minutes in league on and being shortlisted for the team of the season. And one has played like 10 seconds for the first team and mostly plays reserve team football. I I realize they're different positions, which also makes a difference. But Tim, this is, this is a challenge. I think Lacazette yep. has to be sold. And I don't think yep. we can afford, nor should we try to buy a striker this summer. And I think between Aubameyang, Martinelli and Balogun and Pepe and, you know, whatever other combination we want, we should try to make a go of it. I realize that leaves us really one experienced, recognized striker, but it's a very expensive position, and we have young players that we are invested in, and I think it feels very analogous to the Saliba and center back situation. You give Balogun a big contract. You expect a lot from Martinelli. You've given a lot of money to Aubameyang. That, to me, says that's your strategy. Just like with Saliba, you know, you, you pay a huge amount of money for a young center back. That becomes part of your go-forward strategy. So... With Balogun potentially being in the fold, do you think it is incumbent upon us to to cash in on Lacazette while that's still possible and move forward with our plan for the future, accepting that there's some risk, but also that you really only have to make it work for 38 games? Yeah, so I, I definitely think Lacazette should go this summer. For I mean, I've got to say, I don't know what the market is going to be. Um, for him just because I, I don't think it's a can we can really kick down the road because we'll have the same issue next summer um, and with no closer resolution there, there's a big part of me that thinks yeah just go with those you know just like have Martinelli as the backup and Balogun as third choice but as Paul said if Aubameyang is then out for three or four months that that's very different from let's try them for the odd game or let's you know bring them I off the bench. I could get Arteta sacked right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I do think we're missing that that in between piece. Like, I'm fine with Balogun being in Ketia's replacement, um, and but also we've got to think. You know, Abamyang's 32, so when we're considering, you know, if we're considering signing that piece, do we get so like we've been linked with um, a striker called Yuri Alberto from Internacional in Brazil, who's like quite young. Like I, I, I've seen a bit of him. I don't think he's the next big thing. What's the benefit of that? What is yeah, that? Well, help? yeah. <laughs> well, because I mean, yeah, because that would be like the the backup, right? And you know what my feeling is about buying people specifically to be backups. So, well, and also just really, another project the, between Martinelli and Balogun. Don't we have enough young guys? We hope make yeah. it already. You know. <laughs> but yeah, like so, probably the smart thing to do in this position is say, right, Abamyang's thirty-two. Who's the next guy after him? Is it Martinelli? Is it Balogun? Is it? It's probably too soon to make that judgment at the moment. Or do you just go out and buy the next guy that you think is going to be the next Aubameyang? Um, but then again, like you know, who is that guy? It's probably Balogun, isn't it? Like a promising nineteen-year-old striker. And once you've given him a new contract, very difficult to then go and buy another nineteen-year-old. Um, to play ahead of him, so I, it, it's really complicated. We I wouldn't... could extend Lacazette uh, his contract one more year, right? So that buys us a year to kick it down the. the Can I ask you a road. question about that, though? Right, well, let me let, let me kick it over yeah. you for a second, Paul, and then Tim will come back to you because I think this is important. This is where I think you have to start to look at upside and say, I'd rather that a Martinelli, who I think could be a superstar, get the minutes now over Lacazette anyway. We know what Lacazette can do, and it's not bad, but it's certainly not elite. Lacazette produces what you'd expect any sort of mid-table-ish striker to produce. That's what he has produced, and that's what we are. But, like, Martinelli might be elite. So if there's minutes that Oba can't play or that we need to put into someone, I'd rather roll the dice on a Martinelli. What happens if... I see that. What happens if if Aubameyang gets injured in October and he's out for four months? Then... Your guy who might be the next guy, Martinelli, is playing for four months. And you say, we think we have Kunaguero. We think we have, you know, what, whatever comp you like of a really elite superstar. And you say, we believe in our young guy. He's ready for that leap. We're going to give him that chance because we know four months of Lacazette. You know what, four months? Here's my problem with it. Paul, can I, can I express it the best way I can? Four months of Lacazette starting is four months of a mid-table striker starting. You won't, you know, get nothing from him, but you won't get elite output from him. But four months of Martinelli starting, okay, you could get nothing from him, but he could give you elite output from him because he has the talent that Lacazette does not have, is my point. Yeah, but he's a wide forward at the moment, has not demonstrated that he's a central forward. That's that's a pretty big risk. It's not like 50 Yes, it's a risk. I guess, like, so... Well, well, Tim, what's your take? I mean, my, my thing with risk is I think as, as fans, we are just way, way, way too worried about risk. And as a result, we default to very safe options. But Why wouldn't only... we go for like a 23-year-old? Oh, sure, if you want to buy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look yeah. look what Lester did. Edward, Iheanacho yep. for when Vardy ages out. I, I, no, if you want to buy one, I get it. But buying mm. a pretty good 23-year-old striker who's got upside... Distressed European market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, may, maybe if we, I'll tell you what, if we can find that and yep. sell Laka, Paul, you got absolutely no argument whatsoever. I'm yep. saying, though, to your point about extending Lacazette for one year, I don't 
know why we want to yeah keep... i'm not recommending it i'm just I saying see. i see okay th I there is another option that's not ridiculous so, depending well, on what the the financial implication of it like if we suddenly have to double his wage or whatever it is we don't know what the financials of the extension are well maybe this is a really interesting topic to to just kind of finish on then tim which is how much our club should be worried about downside risk versus upside reward because extending a guy like Lacazette, like let's say Aubameyang missed all of next season and Lacazette mm -hmm. had to play 38 games, stayed fit, started 38 games. We know what he's going to give you, right? 15 goals, 14 goals, right? I mean, something in that range. He's not going to be bad. He's never mm -hmm. going to be elite. And so you get something. You're not totally screwed, but he's not elevating you. Whereas, do, would you rather go with someone where the downside risk is that they're not good enough and you're scrambling for solutions, but the upside is that you unearth something, you know, really incredible, something really special. I mean, I just go back to Cesc Fabregas. Like, Cesc Fa we basically ended the Invincibles to make room for Fabregas, and he was worth it. You know, I mean, I realize we didn't recapture that glory, so please understand what I'm trying to say, but like, at some point, if you believe you have an elite talent, put the elite talent out there, not the mediocre one. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I guess it just depends on how convinced they are by the idea that of, of Martinelli as a centre forward. I mean, I'm I'm attracted to it, I have to say. Um, but we it 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 would be a brave call because we don't have enough evidence at the moment. Well, I certainly don't. That's that's more I'm in hunch territory. Um, there, I, I think the other thing that would give me pause for thought is we're, we're talking about getting more goals into this team. That is an absolute priority. Mm -hmm. We scored a pathetic amount of goals last year. And one of the things I think we really need, one of the things I think that is really, really useful, um, as we saw in the Arsene Wenger era, is goals from the bench. So let, let's say we get rid of Willock as well. Like, who are you bringing on to score a goal? El Nani will be um, here, so you just throw him on and bomb him for it. He scored. So we've, we, we've got, you know, we've got some wide forwards. And, you know, when you think about scoring more goals, you can say, right, okay, Saka, he's developing end products. Like, he can get more next season. Smith Rowe can get more next season. Those are still gambles, but they're reasonable ones. Martinelli, if he stays fit wherever we play him, he'll, he scored two this season. And that was because of injuries, right? Stays fit, he'll score more than that. No problem. Um, so you can see goals coming into the team, but we've got to score like a lot more of them. <laughs> like we, we, you know, and and so for me, that's another problem. So yes, there is. You've got to consider the risk question, right? And and you're right. Like we're doing a rebuild here, and we've got to stop going for short-term solutions because short-term solutions beget other short-term solutions, and that means we might have to be a bit scary and go a season a little bit light in a department right um and so and so we could do that i wouldn't be massively surprised and i, I wouldn't be outraged if we did that it would be a risk obviously because then you really got to keep a bamiang fit um so you do have to weigh that up but the thing that gives me pause a lot of this might just depend on willock to be honest if we keep joe willock then potentially we've got that other goal scoring piece, that guy who can come off the bench and get a goal or change our system from 4-2-3-1 to 4-3-3. If, if we don't keep him, we definitely, I think, need another striker or another goal scorer. And the way you back up um, strikers, in my view, if, if you don't have a ready option, 
um, is you repurpose other players. I think that's something we should look at doing next season. I think Saka should be our backup left back. Do not waste fucking money buying backup left backs or Ryan Bertrand or whatever. We've got one in Saka. Use him, repurpose him there. Fine. Um, but with the striker question, it's just different because we need goals and we don't have enough of them. And so that, to me, slants me more towards the we need another striker or, you know, whoever the number 10 we buy. If the number 10 that we buy typically gets 10 to 15 goals a season, fine. If we do that and we keep Willock, fine. So it, it kind of depends for me on other moving parts. Yeah, I guess the thing with striker for me is there's one of them on the pitch at any given time. So the question is, is that guy elite or is he mediocre? Because if you say to me, like, yeah, but he's got 10 goals in him, I would say, yeah, if he starts 38 games. If you give him 10 games, he might have three goals in him. Like, I mean, I, I the, the hard part, you know, you look at look around the league. Like, we were rewarded for giving Saka the minutes we did. And Chelsea, sadly, were rewarded for giving Mason Mount the minutes that they did. And Jude Bellingham and Jaden Sancho. And you can look around and see these young players you know, and you can get really crazy and say Erling Holland or, or Kylian Mbappe. Like, I think if you know you have a guy who has proven his whole career, he's pretty top end of mid-tier, low end of upper tier, and, and you kind of know what to expect, then having that guy, I don't know how much it does for you. And I, I get it. Like, mm. in, emerg- in case of glass, you know, in case of emergency, break glass. But I'm saying in case of emergency, what you're taking out of that broken glass, would you rather it be a potentially elite Tyro or a nice and reliable mid-tier professional? I don't yeah, know the right yeah. answer, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the other thing I th- I think you could possibly consider is just slightly, let's say we lose a Bamiyang for four months, just slightly rewiring the team and say, well, okay, who's our next most reliable goal scorer? Pepe. Pepe, yeah. So so let's let's pivot to making to getting Pepe. Like I'm not saying play him as striker, but you know make Pepe our our Mohamed Salah for Mart- example. Martinelli, Pepe, and and Saka becomes your front line for four months. Yeah. And like, is that that bad compared to now having it be um, Pepe, Saka, and Lacazette? I know which one I'd rather watch four months of because I know which one I think I find has the higher ceiling, but there are other people listening who probably be like, you're crazy. It's got to be Lacazette. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but so, so and, and I think Pepe, by the way, I think that's someone we can squeeze more goals out of next season as well. I think we can get him towards the 20. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, this is, it's funny because for me, the Lacazette conversation and the Granite Shaka conversation, like, and what was the Alex Awobi cut? Like, they all kind of feel similar to me. You know what it is? There's opportunity cost. Paul, I'll leave it with this with you. Like, it's not whether someone is bad or good. It's the opportunity cost of not potentially playing someone that's much better. You, you know what I mean? So, like, if we had kept Awobi and Saka plays, you know, gets 10 appearances. It's not that Awobi's bad, but that's a huge opportunity cost for Arsenal, right? So, like, the opportunity cost of having players that aren't quite good enough or don't get you where you want to go is you don't get the chance to try playing someone who might be really exciting and much better and, and a big part of your future. So, I think that's that's kind of it for me because right now, if you said, I need a goal and I got to start someone, yeah, Lacazette over Martinelli probably makes a lot of sense. But if you said for me, we got to commit to doing something this season and it's giving Lacazette minutes or giving Martinelli minutes... It's a very different question, and I know which I'm going for. So does that make any sense, just the issue of opportunity cost when you rely on players that you've already determined are maybe a level below where you need to be? Yeah, but I'm with Tim on the goals thing. You need actual proven 
goal scorers up front one way or another, however you jig it. And like Saka, we didn't clear a space and say, it's all yours, Saka, and then he proved it. He climbed over the top of somebody. Martinelli... Uh, just, later just for on the record, this, Martinelli's XG90 is way beyond Lacazette's. It's a small sample size warning, of course, but, you know. Yeah, and I, I hear that warning, and I'm taking note of it. It's a small sample size. <laughs> right, but, but what I would say, how do you so, become a proven on. goal scorer until you get yeah. the chance to prove your goal score? You know what I mean? You lo- <laughs> you'll always get the chance. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And, and the thing is, Martinelli, was, you know, Pepe worked his way into the team towards the end of the like, you don't have to clear out the space for a guy who hasn't shown anything. It's not even healthy for them. It's not healthy to turn around to Balogun and say, there it is, it's yours. He needs to climb over. He needs to earn it. He needs to compete with these guys in practice, show in practice week in, week out. He works harder. He scores more goals. He's doing better. He gets his 10 minutes. He gets his 15 minutes. He gets his 20 minutes. He gets his start and he takes it. Because the one thing you can guarantee about an 18, 19, 20-year-old almost always, not in Saka's case, but almost always, is that they'll have a good day and a bad day and on and off. And like they're 20. Do you remember what you were like when you were 20? Nope. Um, no, okay. <laughs> nope, too long um, <laughs> So you just can't do it. Even if you think they're really talented, the best thing you can do for a guy you really believe in is give him somebody to climb over the top of or to compete with. And that's why I'd much prefer... We got a talented 23-year-old we believed in and Balogun and they competed and we, you know, we own Balogun now. We can do what the hell we like. I know we've made promises and we'll keep those promises. I doubt the promises were you're our number two striker next year and you'll start all the games. I think it was you get plenty of time and you'll, you'll have your opportunity and blah, blah, blah. And if things are a little quiet around for you by January, we'll get a, you a great loan for six months. And then next year's your year, kid. And uh, and that's OK. So I think the same is true of Martinelli. You don't gift him the center forward spot. He has to compete for it. And he has to compete for his wide forward spot. And that's how we get, like Smith Rowe wasn't given the spot. He had to f- fight off other people. He had no, to. I get you. I would just he say got Martinelli. There, he lit it up. And, like, nobody wanted to drop him. And he knew if he dropped his level, he was out. And then we brought in Odegaard. And he still, you know, it didn't kill Smith Rowe because he fought and he fought and he looks to get better every week. I think that's what you want. You want that competition. I don't I don't disagree. I would just argue that Martinelli has proved he deserves more. Like, I think, like, he, in a small sample size, leads the team in expected goals per 90, leads the team in shots per 90. Like, he is a shot monster who has goal threat. And so I don't think it's pure projection. I think He's done that from wide. No, I, look, everything you're saying is right. He is still notional. He is still largely notional. So the debate becomes, how do you go from being notional? Like every job he's been given so far, he's shown he can produce elite underlying and to some extent, some elite output. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting season next season because with limited playing time, we've got some very established senior players, if Lacazette sticks around, like Aubameyang and Lacazette, and less established players like Martinelli and Balogun banging on the door, who may have a higher ceiling. So we'll see how the club manages that. So then I said I'd leave it there, but Tim, I'll let you have the final word on this. At, you know, when you say I need a proven goal scorer, you know, well, Kylian Mbappe wasn't a proven goal scorer until he was, right? Uh, I need a proven creator. Well, Cesc Fabregas wasn't a proven creator until he was. How much of a cameo of elite performance does a player need to give you before you just say, I'm rolling the dice on my hunch that this guy's elite. I think he is. 
In a small sample, his, his metrics show it. Now I'm going to go put that to the test. Yeah, and and that's um, that's always really down to the coach because they just have more of that kind of well, they see them on the training ground every point, day and yeah. things like that, and and so they have more of that data. So it just depends. Like uh, us having this conversation just depends how high you are on Mar- on Martinelli. I'm very, um, <laughs> I'm very high on Martinelli at the moment, and I'm um, very high on Martinelli too from but, yeah from wide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's do you want to fix him to that position now or do you just want to kind of let him creep in there? I, You know, um, I, I, the reason I like the idea of him up front is the same reason I like the idea of Sanchez up front. I just kind of think that kind of player in the middle, um, just let them do, do what they want yeah, to do. Yeah. And also it removes some of the, you know, I guess slightly technical shortcomings in wide areas, but... Um, it, you know, it look, it would be a risk. It would absolutely be a gamble. Um, and it's it's kind of like if we had the Europa League, I would absolutely say all six mm. Europa League games, uh, group games, you are starting up front and we will play you for, you know, the full 90 up front unless you are injured. Um, I, I would absolutely do that as a kind of project. But obviously we, we, we don't have that. We only have like the early rounds of the Carabao Cup. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 it just comes down to, and and some of these young players that come through, by the way, kind of come through by accident. Like that, we don't really bet on them. That like the year we put Fabregas in as an absolute bona fide starter, we did try to buy Julio Baptista, but just couldn't get it done. So it wasn't actually the plan to build the team around Fabregas in that way. It just kind of turned out that way, and it kind of turned out all right as well. Well, look at the reward we got for it, though, right? Because Baptista wouldn't have been someone we wanted to hitch our wagon to, and Fabregas was. You know what's funny, Tim? When you The thing that stuck out to me is when you said it would be a risk. It's funny what we sometimes perceive as not being a risk versus what we do, right? Because we say this elite youngster that we think has a big potential is a risk. I don't dispute that, by the way. But what isn't a risk is bringing in proven Premier League talent like Willian and just putting him in because you can predictably rely on his output. And the irony is, right, that like we sometimes think that just because someone's proven they can be okay, that that's not a risk. And I would argue, I agree to some extent it's not a risk, but it carries so little upside. And and that's my thing with Lacazette. Like, I don't think, I mean, is it possible Lacazette would just be bad for us next season? It is, of course. But I don't think he would be. I just think he carries so yeah. little upside. I, I think the thing is here with Martinelli and probably where the conversation is is nuanced and difficult. So, for example, if we were talking, if we're talking about like replacing Willian, that is not a risk. Giving giving Willian minutes to Martinelli, not a risk at yeah. all. If we were, you know, if we were like, let's say we sold Pepe this summer and Arteta said, "You're my guy." Wide, you know, on that wide right, wide left, whatever. I don't think that's a massive risk. It's the, but can he do it at centre forward, which he hasn't quite yeah. done yet. So th- that's where the the risk is not for me. Martinelli's talent. It's does it map across to yep. being a centre forward, and how quickly? Because it will not, not, not happen straight away. It's yeah. just a case of does it take three or four games, or does it take three or four months, or does it just not happen at all? I think that's totally fair. And I will tell you, Paul, if we if we want to predict fights that we'll be having on next season's podcasts, hmm. 
you can almost guarantee it'll be me bitching about some player not getting minutes I wish he would get. Because when you look at Martinelli, Balogun, Pepe, Saka, Smith-Rowe, potentially, let's just say Odegaard, the really yeah. exciting part of what we could be as a club is in that quadrant, right? In that, yeah. in that. And department. you have to balance that against something I can hear Tim saying, which is a settled eleven game in yep, kind of totally game agree. in, game out, week in, week out. There's going to be winners and losers, and some of those losers will be kids that we believe in. And that, and that, when anybody says, "Oh, you know what? Losing Europa League is great because now we can focus on the Premier mm-hmm. League." I get you. But is losing Europa League great if suddenly Martinelli gets five appearances next season and rumors are floating that he's unhappy and wants to leave? Like, and I'm, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying, <laughs> so, look, let's be clear about something. Someone we really rate who is young and talented won't play as much as we'd like next season. And that's going to, you know, piss a lot of people off. <laughs> the, just, just in closing, the, the reason that taking the risk on Martinelli as a centre forward might be a really good idea is because it would be a, it would be really, really good if that worked because I'm not sure you can have Martinelli and Pepe as your wide forwards. No. And no, so it's, no. it's kind of an elegant solution getting them both in the team. And also not to labor the point, Abamyang's 32. We need that long-term replacement it would be great if that was already at the club and we didn't have to go and spend 50, 60 million on it in a year or two. That's exactly it, because if he can play center forward at an elite level at his age, that's a hundred million pound windfall, right? Like, I mean, you think about what it would mean to have an elite, young, high output center forward that you don't have to go buy and holy cow, I mean, it just changes the whole game for you. You don't have to go buy a center forward replacement. My goodness, you could get real good real fast, which let's hope that happens. In any event, Tim's on Twitter. Super, thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! I want to just uh, clarify, two of the three winners of our review competition did get in touch um, and have their shirts already on their way and actually probably have them already. One did not. Um, so if you are the one that did not see, I'm not going to say it is because I finally figured this whole thing out, but if you're the one who did not, please get in touch. If uh, I don't hear from you, let's say within the next week, what we'll do is I'll look at the reviews, um, over the next week, pick one more out and then, uh, and we'll do, we'll do one more winner. Cause I said three, we only did two. So we still owe one. So there you go. Anyone who listened this far, uh, so you're saying there's a chance is where we're going with this. Anyway. I would love you. Thank you so much. There's going to be a lot more nonsense about transfers. Clive's transfer stuff tomorrow. uh, Euro preview on Wednesday. And then uh, a lot more after that. So thank you. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Transfer window news.